the Mac Observer's Mac Geek App, episode 576, for Sunday, October 25th, 2015. There's one thing I want to say, and what I want to say is greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cap, the show where you send in questions, tips, and cool stuff found. We answer your questions. We share tips and cool stuff found. The goal is for every single one of us, me included, John included, you included, to learn at least three new things every time we get together. Sponsors for this episode include Squarespace, where coupon code MGG saves you 10%. iMazing, where coupon code MGG saves you 20%. Crucial, 5% off of Apple memory for the rest of this month. And Drobo, returning as a sponsor, coupon code GEEK100 saves you 100 bucks. We'll talk about all of that and more later on in the show. Here, today, in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here, after gallivanting about the tri-state area, um, I'm now back in Fairfield, Connecticut. This is John F. Braun. So when you talk about the tri-state area, uh, it immediately makes me think of the evil Dr. Doofenshmartz. And, I and, don't understand. And this reference. year, summer ended. Summer's over. No more Phineas and Ferb episodes. It's a shame. Oh, yeah. all right. Yeah, never, never got into that series. Maybe I will. It was uh, obviously aimed at kids. So perhaps, uh, certainly the reason I started watching it was because my kids enjoyed it, but it was one of those things where it was, you know, they obviously were making it for um, children of all ages. So we, we very much enjoyed that show. So, uh, you know what, John, let's do this. Let's get right into questions here. And then, uh, and then I think we've, we've, we've all got some things to talk about. Less writes uh i will find less i promise i will find less less writes i think what do i know yeah less writes for some reason every time i plug in an ios device uh on my imac 27 inch the photos app launches that's great when i want to move pictures to my mac but it is launching when there are no photos to move any ideas and uh, yeah, actually this one's a pretty easy one. It is frustrating. Uh, and I've experienced this with every single device that I've plugged in that has the ability to transfer pictures to the, the Mac. And that is uh, photos does open. You can change this behavior though. Once photos has opened for a particular device, look in the upper left-hand corner of the photos window It'll list the name of the device, for example, you know, Les's iPhone or Dave's iPad or whatever it is. And then right next to that, it says open photos for this device with a little checkbox filled in. Uncheck that box and it will not launch photos for that device in the future. Unfortunately, if you have multiple devices, you have to go through this process for each one of them. But uh, but it's pretty straightforward. So there you go. And that kind of annoys me because, you know, it used to be. And oddly enough, Dave, so, so one thing that I found here, we, we have had some people ask questions uh, related to Aperture and iPhoto. Yeah. Believe it or not, they still run under uh, El Capitan. Yes, that's right. That's right. If you haven't, uh, 
I guess, yeah, if you, if, if you migrated up, they, they would come along with you. You just can't install them fresh on El Capitan, right? Yeah. And, and the reason I'm annoyed, why I want to, why I'm not happy is that this used to be, and appears to no longer be because I verified this. So this used to be a setting in Apple's uh, photo management software used to be in preferences. And it would say, if camera, if camera detected, open this. Right. They, they, as far as I can tell, that level of granularity is no longer there. You have to explicitly, as you correctly pointed out, do this for whatever camera device um, is hooked up and say, no, please do not open. Right. Each one. And, yeah. Yeah. Not thrilled with photos. I'm using it. You know, I'm using it. I moved over. But I haven't been gotten rid of Aperture or iPhoto yet. And you're still using them or... Uh, I, I haven't modified the libraries. Okay. Uh, anything new that I that I do add, I will add to my photos library and, and not to the old programs. Hmm. Well, I still want to run the old ones just in case there's stuff I want to do. All right. Well, you might be able to help with uh, with Guido's question then, or perhaps not. But uh, but we'll we'll see what he says. Guido writes: After a clean install of El Capitan on my Mac Mini. Opening the copy copy of the Yosemite, Yosemite Photos library shows zero pictures in the Photos app. When I open the original Photos file on my Yosemite clone backup, Photos shows all the pictures. In the Pictures folder of the Yosemite clone backup, there are two files with the same name. One is the Photos only file with 48 megs, and then there's an iPhoto file of kind migrated iPhoto library of 35 gigs. Any idea how I can copy the Yosemite photo library to the El Capitan disc? So this isn't this is interesting because what happened when you migrated that library was it built this new file called the photos library um, and linked to all of the pictures that were in your old iPhoto library. That's what photos does. And these are hard links, which means that it didn't duplicate the files. But it essentially in the in the table of contents in the file structure of the disk, it said uh, that file there is mine. Right. It puts a second entry in for it, which means that if you delete your iPhoto library, the the pointer from the photos library that points to that file, your iPhoto library is just like anything else. It's just a pointer to where the files live on the disk. Well, it added this new pointer so that the file system doesn't care. It's not going to delete the file until you delete both of those pointers, essentially, right? Any file out there is that this is how they all work. So it created these hard links. Um, somewhere in the cloning process, that hard link got broken. That's kind of a weird thing. I'd, I'd actually love to learn how you did your clone, what software you did it with and all of that, because it should not have gotten broken in fact, what should have happened is it should have duplicated all of the, the files because it should have read them twice, which is also imperfect. But uh, I'm surprised that, that a clone would would skip them. Uh, so there's a couple of things. Number one is I, and I don't know if this will work, but uh, you could try re-importing your iPhoto library into photos uh, by by double clicking it or or dragging the old iPhoto library, even though it says migrated onto photos, it it might work. Uh, the other thing would be is if you've got your old Yosemite photos file, just copy that over to your your El Capitan disk 
just using the finder, you know, connect it up and just copy it over. And that should bring everything with it. You'll now have, you know, that duplicate uh, version, but at least you've got it and you can go get rid of the, the old iPhotos library once, once you've confirmed that your photos are there. Those are my two thoughts on it, John. You got any? One is my thought. One thought is that if you do this on a disc and I'm not sure, it sounds like this was done on a local disc and not a, a yeah. copy of the library on a NAS. Correct. Yeah. I, I one think that's thing, a safe bet. Yep. Okay. But if not a heads up for people is that when, when you do this, uh, when you launch photos for the first time and it detects um, that you're launching it for the first time, it's going to be like, Hey, you want to migrate, you know, an old, old thing over and uh, don't do that. If it's right. not on a local disc, because it will not, uh, bad things happen. Yes. The hard link mechanism doesn't quite work. So you may end up with something like this. So that may have been what happened. Um, the second thing is that uh, as an FYI with, uh, with most Apple software, magical things happen when you hold down a modifier key, when you launch it. And yeah, I guess to your suggestion, one thing you can do is uh, so when you launch photos, it will of course try to load, you know, the default library. But if you want to open a different one, and I'm not sure if this would happen, but uh, if you hold down alt when you load when you launch photos, it will instead of lo- loading the default, it will give you it will present you with a window saying, uh, "Here's a bunch of libraries. Um, which one would you like to open?" And, and I'm wondering if that would re-instigate the. Uh, import operation and, mm. and maybe it would go properly this time. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. You, there's some way to trigger it, but if you've got this library that's working for you on the Yosemite side, I, I think safest bet would be to copy it over. If you don't have it, then yeah, you've got to do one of these other things that John or I have, have suggested. So John, you went to uh, speaking of photos, you went to photo plus expo this week, didn't you? Yes, I did. And so I'll give you a quick summary of that. So Photo Plus Expo, they have at the Javits Center in Manhattan. And it's uh, for people that like photography. But I like going there because there's also stuff for uh, Apple and uh, Mac people. Hardware, software, all sorts of great stuff. So a few neat things that that happened this year. So number one, if you ever traveled in Manhattan, you know that... uh, (laughs) <laughs> that area is kind of a dead zone when it comes to uh, public transportation. Uh, maybe a bus goes down there, but a subway doesn't go down there. Well, it finally does, Dave. They finally really? extended the seven train to 34th Street. It's now a uh, 34th Street. Um, I, I forget the, the rest of it, but it's a brand new station. So they basically extended the seven, uh, built a tunnel and all that stuff. So you can go from Grand Central. That blows away you my, go. you know, I, I emotionally support all conspiracy theories, whether or not I intellectually support them. I, I emotionally support 100 percent of them. And I had always just loved the idea that the taxi lobby was the thing that kept the the train from going all the way to the, the Javits. And now, um, I, now I'm, I I'm 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 sure it did. Oh, all right. So 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 maybe somebody just. Yeah, that's right. Uber. We can blame Uber. I, although I'm sure these plans existed long before Uber uh, was ever on the radar. But yeah. All right. Yeah. Good. OK. Yeah. And actually, Brian Monroe, let me know about that. It's a uh, yeah, 34th Street and uh, Harbor. Um, nice. Hudson Yards. OK. So uh, so that's very nice. So if you want to go from Grand Central to the Javits Center and then, yeah, you get off of here, you go across the street and the Javits is right there. So that was very handy. So I took advantage of that. Nice. Um. The other thing is that for the first time that I can recall, they were actually offering free Wi-Fi in the Javits. 
before, I would always grumble because when I went there for, you know, especially for a media event, um, there was no Wi-Fi. Huh. I mean, sometimes they the, the people that sponsored the show would have it, you know, for sure. media and stuff like that. But the, this was uh, building wide now. So that's something that I do not recall happening as well. So I was taking advantage of that versus burning my cellular bandwidth. Sure, sure. Um, and of course, VPNing. So, yeah, so I would do the free Wi-Fi and, and VPN into my Synology, have a nice secure connection. So that was great. Um, I'm going to summarize or so four things that I saw that, that I, I think were uh, uh, notable and would be of interest to our audience here. So one is a new piece of software, and it really did appear to be magic, and it's called Lucid. And you can learn more about it at www.hellolucid.com. And what this is, is a piece of software that they showed me, and it's just amazing what this does. So you, you can either get a standalone app or you can get an iOS app. Uh, they're priced differently. Uh, but it just takes the terrible things that cameras do and fixes them. Like what, one of the things that I saw was just amazing. So if you've ever taken a photo and you have, you know, clouds or, or bright background, it screws up the exposure and the picture is bright in one place, dark in the other. And they showed me, yeah, check this out. Now, if you know what you're doing with some programs, you can fix this, but this does it in, in just like one fell swoop. Um, so that's something new. It, it, uh, I, it almost feels like cheating, <laughs> I would say. So, um, but check it out. It, it really impressed me what, what, what it allows you to do. Um, our friend Victor, actually, I think he, uh, he made some comment uh, in one of my uh, social media streams. One of our friends who's a, a good photographer, and he said, this is just amazing. So check it out if you want your photos to look good. Number two, I saw a, um, uh, a camera made by a company that is uh, actually out in San Francisco and actually has some former Apple people working for it. Um, it's called the DXO one. Uh, and this is a camera plug. We saw, we saw that. You may have heard of this. We saw it last year, right? It's the, the, the DSLR attachment for the iPhone. Uh, I don't know if it's a DSLR. I mean, I'll, I'll, uh, share the link here. All right. But, um, but they're finally shipping it here, but it's basically a high quality, uh, so a number of features here. So, so it has a lightning connector. Um, has a one inch sensor, 20 megapixels, an F 1.8 aperture. So that's really good. So you can get some nice depth of field versus the, uh, Apple camera, uh, 32 millimeter lens, uh, fixed lens, I think. And the software is, is pretty slick too. And it also goes up to a really high ISO, which, uh, you know, gives it really good sensitivity in low light situations here. Uh, and they were demonstrating that. And I think they just started, uh, shipping it a couple of months ago. Cool. So, uh, so they had announced it. So uh, that's something I saw as well. I'll, I'll paste the link in a moment here because I do want to move along. Um, the third thing I saw, which I think is now possible because you have um, 4K screens of very good quality here. Um, it actually started, and I think it's just wrapping up as a Kickstarter, uh, but it's called the Memento Smart Frame. So it comes in two different sizes here, but it's basically a... If you didn't know that it was a screen, you, you wouldn't know. I mean, I couldn't at first. I looked at it and I'm like, wait a second, that, that looks like, uh, you know, a print. But then I noticed that it wasn't. So it's, <laughs> uh, so it's, it's a smart frame, comes in two sizes. Uh, the pictures look beautiful. Uh, it senses the light around it. And it also comes with software that lets you load your photos on it and it will sequence through them uh, at a, you know, not a, not a huge rapid pace. It's not meant for movies. It's meant to display your photographs and let you do um, 
you know, just change them on occasion. Sure. And, uh, so, uh, so it's a step beyond the, you know, I mean, you've probably seen, you know, these, uh, LCD frames in the past year, but this is one that's, uh, you know, of, uh, of a size that, uh, you know, where, where, uh, you know, you can actually see it. <laughs> Very <laughs> cool. A small frame here. I liked it and we'll link to that. And the last thing that I saw, so it seems to be, it looks to be a new, um, wireless technology here. So this was actually at a, at an event, like kind of the night before the show just started here, but this is something from Toshiba, um, called transfer jet. <clears throat> so it's wireless, but the thing is, is that it's faster than nearly any other. Uh, I think they advertise speeds of a uh, 300. Well, let, me, let me look here. Uh, I think the base speed is on the order of like 500 megabits a second, but effectively it's about 300 megabits a second. Um, but they have adapters that will plug into USB, into micro USB for your Android devices, and also into Lightning. And the intent here is a, it's just a very, very uh, quick way. Yeah, so 375 megabits a second is uh, is the throughput that they uh, they advertise with this. Wow. Um, they're just it's just coming out here, so so I think it's good. So it's wireless, so it's handy versus you know having to lug around you know lug around cables and stuff like that. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, they, they developed this to quickly get your data between your computer or between your iOS or Android devices. I Brand like new. It, I can't even, I can't even find, yeah, I mean, they have an info page, um, their I website, their website's yet. not even loading right now. So it's that new. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but if you have it, but, but you should see, uh, you should see it in various stores. Yeah. Um, Cool. So those are four things of note in addition to my travel tips there. So it's a great show if you're in the uh, New York City area. Fun, fun, man. Very cool. And I did see, I think I saw, yeah, I saw a number of, uh, number of my followers there as well. That's Got always fun. That, the- yeah, that always, that often that's more worthwhile seeing industry folks and listeners and all that stuff. That's more worthwhile than the shows themselves sometimes. Oftentimes, in fact. <laughs> All right. Uh, I want to talk about our first couple of sponsors. Does that sound good to you, John? Indeed. Our sponsor, iMazing, at iMazing.com, they know how to make your Mac or your Windows machine talk to your iOS device. They've been doing this for years. First, they started just by letting you move songs around, in a, which you can still do with iMazing, not with iTunes. If you have songs on your iPhone, you need to get them back to uh, to your Mac. Amazing. That's how you're going to do it. Amazing.com. Uh, they offer a free trial, so you can go and, and check it out. A lot of people have been using the free trial because of Chipgate, right? Chipgate is this whole thing where people are worried whether they have the TSMC or the Samsung chip in their new iPhone 6S or 6S Plus. Well, Amazing will tell you what you have. Uh, put the software on your Mac, plug the iPhone into your Mac and, uh, and do a get info from inside iMazing and it'll show you what, uh, what chip you have. I don't think it actually matters. Uh, but you know, it's, it's, I like software that can like dig in and tell me what's going on. iMazing does this. So you gotta go, you gotta check it out. And remember, uh, they have a coupon code for you. Coupon code MGG saves you 20%. So iMazing 34.99. That means you save seven bucks. That's that's real money. That's actually a couple of cups of coffee you're going to save just because they gave us a coupon code to share with you. So check it out. Amazing.com, coupon code MGG. 
saves you seven bucks, 20%. Download a free trial, check it out, figure out what chip you've got, copy some data back from your iPhone, archive off all your old messages. You can do all kinds of things with this. The possibilities, frankly, are endless. You can really dig in and see what's going on. It's fun stuff. It's geeky stuff. I love it. I use it all the time because it lets me be geeky with my iPhone. Something where, you know, the walls are otherwise kind of in the way. Check it out. Amazing.com coupon code. Amazing.com coupon code MGG. Our thanks to iMazing for sponsoring this episode. Our returning sponsor, Drobo, makes some of the best direct attached redundant storage that I've ever used. Now, that sounds really boring when I say it that way. So these are cool boxes that you connect to your Mac and you just pump hard drives into these and it creates a volume, one volume out of all these drives that you get to store data on. This is very cool. Even cooler, if one of the drives goes bad, you can replace it without losing data, without even turning off the box. That's cool. And if you replace a drive with a larger drive or simply add a drive, the amount of space that you get to save your data to grows in proportion to the size of the drive. This is very, very cool. Even cooler. Visit Drobo.com slash MGG. And there you'll find a coupon code. The coupon code's Geek100, but you don't have to remember it. Just go to Drobo.com slash MGG. That coupon code will save you a hundred bucks off of a Drobo Mini, which is normally $649, a Drobo 5N, which is actually a network attached Drobo, which is normally $549, or a Drobo third gen, which is a four bay direct attached Drobo, normally $299. So yeah, you're saving 33 and more than a third percent off of the 299 right there. You save a hundred bucks for less than 200 bucks for 199. You get a direct attached Drobo. This is very, very cool. You can take all your old drives and just plug them into this thing or buy some new drives and put them in. This is how it works. You got to check it out. Drobo.com slash M G G. Learn about Drobo there and really go save your hundred bucks. The coupon's good through the end of the year, but treat it like it's good through the end of the month. Just go get one now. You don't want this to get in the way of your holiday spending. Do it now. Drobo.com slash MGG. Our thanks to Drobo for returning as a Mac Geek Gap sponsor. And with that, John, I think it's time to move along to Mark. We've got a couple of questions about mail and IMAP and no better time than the present to dig into those. Mark writes, I took your advice a few months ago concerning getting all my IMAP mailboxes syncing correctly with my mail server, but I think I have things messed up. Depending on what computer I'm on, I cannot see mail sent or certain mail received. I cannot search in certain mailboxes either. So my question is, can I start all over again without losing all my emails? I would like to delete all my accounts and mail and then set them up again, but I'm afraid I will lose something, if not everything. Is there a way to do this that's safe? And should I just let uh, Mac mail assign which mailboxes it wants to use for sent mail drafts, etc. when I do this, or will it remember my messy setup? All right. So th this gets interesting. The, the most important part to remember about IMAP is that any mailboxes that are synced with IMAP are actually stored on the server. The copies you have on your Mac are just that copies. 
and reflective of what's on the server, but it's a two-way street. If you delete a message locally, it will delete it from the server. Similarly, if a message is deleted on the server, either because you go directly to the server to do it via a web interface or you do it from another client, that message will, the deletion of that message will then be propagated out to all of your clients. So it's this, it, it is this client server relationship. The good news is that if you delete your connection to an IMAP server and therefore delete your local copies of those messages, when you reconnect to the server, you will get to see those messages again because they are on the server. With all that said, back up before you do anything. I can't stress that enough. That's just our mantra here, right? Back up, back up, back up. All right. With that Did in you mind, say back up. I said back up, John. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, thanks for having my back. And actually, on that. the the other thing I would I would point out here, because um, I think it's useful to mention here right now, is that uh, especially if there are messages that you would like to maintain, the thing is. Uh, the nature of IMAP is if any one client is set up to do something, especially delete something after a certain amount of time here, if there are messages that you really, really, really want to keep, then put them in the archive folder. That is one of the standard, last I checked, uh, IMAP locations. Well, it's and actually not standard. It's not an IMAP location. It's an Apple location that it creates on your IMAP no. server. Yeah. All right, or one that you could, I guess, create on your own. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So Apple Mail, because Apple Mail will let you. Yeah. The, so the so the standard ones, as far as Apple Mail is concerned, is drafts, sent, junk, trash, and archive. And so I would just say put something. Yeah. yeah. So I would say put something in our, uh, If you want to keep things for long term storage and make sure that nobody comes along and says, "Hey, I should delete this," um, you may want to consider creating an archive uh, mailbox or That's folder. Right. And mail will create one for you if you, uh, frankly, I, I don't think you need to do anything. I think it'll, it'll do it. But that, that's where, I think that's where your problem begins is that while uh, we'll take archive out of it for the moment, because that really isn't a standard IMAP uh, folder, but there are, as John mentioned, standard IMAP folders, inbox, drafts, sent, trash, uh, and junk, right? But the problem is there are, is not a standard naming convention for those folders. So Apple mail in a lot of cases likes to store your sent messages in a folder called sent messages. If the server, however, chooses to use the folder called sent for that. And another client likes to use, uh, you know, a folder named delivered messages for that. You could wind up with three places on the server where sent messages are being stored. Now, the good news is Apple Mail will show you the other folders. So you, it, it, you or it, and we'll tell you how you can do this, but you or it will assign a folder to a, to a, a, uh, a task or, or a, a, a category, right? So sent messages will be assigned to a folder. Uh, trash will be assigned to a folder and Apple typically calls that deleted messages, but you can change all this. So if you look in mail on your computer, you'll see these mailboxes along the side, right? Inbox, sent, drafts, junk, trash, archive. But then if you go down, you'll see the name of your IMAP account and any other folders that are there. You might see some that appear to have the same function as some of the ones above. So you just need to decide which one you're going to use. It's helpful if you can go to the web interface of your of your server. So, you know, go to um, 
you know, iCloud, if that's what you're using or Gmail, if that's what you're using or whatever, and just take a look. Cause that'll show you all of them and then pick the one that you say, okay, this is the one I want to use for all my sent messages. And in mail, what you do is if that one's not selected as your, as your main sent mailbox, highlight it and then go to the mailbox menu. And at the bottom say, use this mailbox as sent mailbox. And you can do the same for trash and junk and archive um, and, and drafts as well. And that will deal with assigning this. That's how you do it on your Mac. And you want to do the same mailbox on all of your Macs. The same thing is going to happen on iOS in a slightly different way. You go into settings, mail contacts and calendars. You go into your uh, mailbox, you know, whatever, whatever mailbox that is into your account uh, tap deeper into the account, click on the advanced button. So you just got to keep going deep. And then at the top of the advanced section is the same sort of thing. Mailbox behaviors and it'll lift draft sent deleted and archive tap on those and pick the ones that you want it to use for that function. Once you've gotten all that in sync and it's helpful to just have all your devices in front of you so that you can really kind of refer back and forth and say, yeah, this is what I want to do. Then your life gets easier. Now, what you might be left with, and you'll see this on your Mac kind of in the, the lower uh, IMAP section, is you might be left with a couple of mailboxes. You might be using sent messages uh, as your main sent folder, but then you might have sent uh, or delivered messages or you know anything else just floating down there. Take the messages that are in those, move them to your main sent folder, and then delete that mailbox. That's going to be the trick. So... Um, and, and then that'll get things in sync. I honestly don't think that deleting your mailbox and bringing it back is going to necessarily be just an end all be all solution. It, 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 it might serve other purposes, but, but you're still going to need to go through this. So you might as well just stick with what you have and go through this. So that's my, that's my thoughts on this. John, do you have, do you have anything to add? I have a deleted messages folder yeah, in my iCloud again. Exactly. Yes. Yes, I just noticed that on on my mini here, um, and I think it happened before uh, the uh, well, Apple came out with a whole slew of updates this week. And, yeah, uh, the good news is that the latest uh, OS ten update fixed all the problems that I was having with uh, El Capitan Mail, which were several. Now okay, they seem to be fixed. Well, that's good. That's good. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. It's kind of crazy, but you know, it's how it works. All right. So that's uh, that's Mark, and now uh, it's time to move on to Larry, who has a similar uh, similar issue. Larry writes. He says, uh, "I pride my, uh, as, uh, He sent me some screenshots or sent to us. He says, "I have multiple email accounts set up on Mail, including my main account, which is an IMAP account. Note that I have a bulging junk folder there." as well as a less crowded one sitting at the top most list of mailboxes. Note again that it contains three separate junk mailboxes, one for each of his accounts. He says, no problem there. The problem is that when I read mail on my iPad Air, junk doesn't reside in nice tiny folders. It is commingled with the mail I actually want to read in my inbox. So let me explain this. On his Mac, everything looks like it's supposed to, right? On his iPad... He has his inbox and then as a subfolder of his inbox are things like sent and junk and all of this stuff. That's not how it should be. They shouldn't be subfolders of your inbox. They should be separate folders, just as we discussed. But 
there's a reason that this happens. He's he's using a, a third party IMAP server, which is totally fine. Maybe he's using Fastmail. I don't know what he's using, but you know, maybe he's using Fastmail. Maybe he's using one from his web host. You know, there's a zillion of them. IMAP servers display mailboxes, advertise mailboxes is what I should say. When you go and you say, here, wait, give me a list of mailboxes, it gives them to you in hierarchical form. And you can have mailboxes nested inside others. Most, full, most IMAP servers treat the inbox and have all of your main mailboxes on the top level. So you'd have inbox, drafts, junk, trash, uh, sent messages, all of those things. Then you could create an archive folder and put subfolders in that. But the rest of them would just be sitting there at the top level. That's what Apple's mail clients expect. But some IMAP folders or servers, I should say, advertise one folder at the top. And that is inbox in all caps. And then underneath inbox, you have inbox again, drafts, trash, sent messages and all of that. And that's what's happening with Larry here. His iPad is connecting and it's showing him exactly what the server is telling it to show him. Here's your inbox and inside your inbox, you have inbox and you have junk and you have trash and it doesn't know, you know, it, it doesn't know which, which it should be, but you can tell your iPad what to do in this case. The trick is to go into on iOS, you go into settings, you go to mail contacts and calendars, you go to your account, you go to advanced right where we were to set mailbox behaviors. Further down that screen is something called IMAP path prefix. It's usually blank. Actually, it's usually just a slash. It's treated kind of like a directory structure. Well, in Larry's case, Larry's going to select inbox there. And now what that's going to mean is his iPad is going to basically traverse one level deep and treat that as the top of everything. And then everything will flow in where it should be. So Typically doesn't happen with iCloud because, of course, Apple builds their stuff to work that way. It doesn't happen with Gmail that way, but it does happen with many uh, third party, you know, ISP based or, you know, web host based services. It, it is a standard thing. So uh, so that's all you got to do. That's it. Have You ever seen that one, John? Fortunately, no. All right. And yeah, it was news to me. I'm looking at that setting. You, you know, it. It aggravates me that even though IMAP, um, you know, which you convinced me to move over to from, you know, pop. Oh, yeah. <laughs> although it's better, this, we keep getting questions about this. And I wish somebody would come up with a standard that could help define for a particular mail account, Dave. Yeah. Um, here is the hierarchy of where everything is stored. Because now the problem is as you know, we, we help people out with is that any one client who's part of the ecosystem can screw it up for everybody else. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, That's on Apple right. mail, you got to say, use this as the scent, use this as this, use this as that. And then, you know, like I said, I just saw again on one of my machines, there's a thing called deleted items under my iCloud. It's like, why is that coming back? Yep. <laughs> I that keep telling you that's not supposed to be there and I keep deleting it and it keeps reappearing. Yeah. For a standard, there is, Mm, there's not enough of there's not enough standardization. <laughs> I think it's the right way to say it, right? Brian Monroe. Maybe it exists. I don't know, but but yeah, again, something that describes the the correct hierarchy for a certain account and gets everybody, uh, you know, tells everybody, okay, here's where all these things live. Just, right. You know, don't don't screw with it. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it would be nice if you could. Yeah, if you could save a, or they could advertise a settings file that, that or a translation file that says, OK, the things you're looking for are here. But, you know, maybe that's I don't know. It depends on the client now. Right. Everybody would need to buy into this. It's not going to happen is, is the reality. Uh, Brian Monroe in the chat room at MacGeekab.com slash stream. Hello, everyone there. Thanks for helping out, keeping us uh, up to date while we do the show and also helping us craft the show notes while we do it. Brian Monroe points out that Bluehost is one of those where you need to use the uh, inbox in the, or slash inbox, I guess, in that field. Um, and and it is. I mean, it, it's very if you have to put something there. I think the the only thing I've ever seen put there is that slash inbox in all caps. So it is a standard part of probably some open source IMAP server is what it is. And it's probably correct. It's probably more that Apple and Google have decided this is stupid. We don't need this here. It's confusing to a lot of people. So we'll just pull it out. But realistically, that's probably part of the RFC. It wouldn't surprise me anyway. Anyway. That's where we go. One more thing about mail. John, Mike has a question. Even though I've already done an upgrade to El Capitan over Yosemite, I'm interested in starting fresh and doing an El Capitan clean install. Most things seem straightforward. Create a backup clone, format, clean install, reinstall apps, and move over data. However, mail seems to present a different scenario. In my mail, I have some mailboxes that are, quote, on my Mac. How do I, how do I go about restoring mail to the way that it is now, since not all of my mail is located on Apple servers. So Mike has a good question, right? We just pointed out that if the mail stored on your IMAP server, you just set up your Mac or iOS device, do whatever you want, put in your credentials for the server and boom, your mail will appear. It might take a little bit of time to download depending on how much you have, but that's it. However, mail that's stored in the on my Mac section, which is another section there on the left, that does not that is that is the label there is correct. It is stored on your Mac and only on your Mac. And this is a handy place to store archives and things like that. But you do need to pay attention because when you migrate, especially if you do a clean install, this doesn't magically come over. Mail is stored in OS 10 uh, in your home folder, in a folder called library, and then in a folder called mail. It's deeper than that. And we'll get there. But the library folder is one of those folders. We've talked about it before. It's not always visible. Uh, the easiest way to make it visible is in the finder. Just hold down the option key and go to the go menu and library will appear in that menu when you push down the option key. So now you've got the library fo folder open. Uh, you can open up mail uh, inside mail. You will find several folders. The ones that are going to matter to you are either V2 or V3. V3 is where El Capitan is storing mail. So you've, in your case, Mike, you've done an upgrade to El Capitan. So your mail has been moved most likely from the V2 folder to the V3 folder. If you're still on Yosemite or you haven't launched mail on El Capitan yet, and it hasn't done that migration, it's still in the V2 folder. In either case, inside the correct V folder, uh, there is a folder for each mail account you have, and you'll see them. They'll start with IMAP or POP and then kind of list your account credentials or your, your email address, I should say, not your credentials. It's not going to put your password in a folder name. Uh, it'd be listed there. And then there's a folder simply titled Mailboxes. That Mailboxes folder is the same thing as on my Mac. You can open that folder and you can see there's little mailboxes in there and they should match everything that's in on my Mac. The easiest thing to do, 
make a copy of this mailboxes folder, put it in the V3 folder once. Let mail launch once on, on your new El Capitan machine. You can put this over there. Actually, you could do it either way. It doesn't matter. But uh, it, all the, the hierarchy will be created once it launches once. And then you can just pop this stuff in there with mail not running. I recommend, you know, quit mail, put this folder in, relaunch it and uh, and your data will be there and accessible and all of that good stuff. So pretty simple. Good question. Uh, glad that you're aware of what's going on, but uh, but pretty simple to deal with. I'm sure you've had to deal with this, John. <sighs> You know, I just looked here. So what? So is this what was happening when you ran mail under mail under El Capitan and it said migrating? It was yes. created. It was it was shuffling everybody. Yeah, because I just looked now and I'm like, oh, I'm asking myself why? <laughs> why did they? <laughs> well, I think they, why did they, they have sh- to make a V3 folder. Yeah, it's a good question. Yeah, it's been a, it's been many many operating system upgrades since the V2 folder appeared. I mean, I think it was. Yeah. 10, 5, 10, 4, maybe. I mean, it, that V2 folder has been where we've lived for a long time. Maybe, maybe not quite that far back, but, but yeah, there, it, there's nothing obvious about El Capitan mail. Everything seems to be organized the same in that V3 folder as it was in the V2 folder. So I'm not sure why, but yeah, somebody made the decision. I don't know. Yeah. All I see, I, I see one thing in the V2 folder and that's just account.plist. You're right. Right. It is worth that. That's actually a good point, John, for anybody that has migrated over. uh, It is. And especially if you're looking to grab data, make sure you look in the V2 folder. If all that's there is this accounts.plist, then you're good to go. But if it if it left something behind, especially in a mailboxes folder, then, you you know, that might not have finished the migration properly and you might still have data there. So that's actually a really good point, John. Make sure you make sure you look. It's always good to look. Always, always. Hey, John, I've got a question for you. You ready? Mm-hmm. No. Good. Perfect. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we've talked about uh, in previous shows, previous episodes, uh, especially over the summer, we were talking about how Yosemite had an issue with uh, or possibly uh, had an issue with the app store where you would on the Mac you would go to do updates and you would start to load it, but it would get stuck and a reboot wouldn't even fix it. And the software update D process would eat hundred percent of your CPU and you'd never get the updates. And you had to go and you had to clear out a cache, right? The app store cache file, which was buried in, in this like weird temp directory. And you had to invoke all sorts of weird terminal commands to, to get there. Then you delete the cache and all would be well, right? Do you remember this? Somewhat. Okay. You were the one that, that, that told me how to solve the problem. So I figured you would remember, but um, I ran into this on El Capitan, or at least I ran into what felt like was going to be this. I had an update. I, I did the thing. It started spiraling. It's like, Oh crap. I got to go through this again. And then magically it worked. It took about two minutes of it just being in like stuck mode and then it freed itself up. And I was just about to dive in and start doing all the magic and it freed itself up. I'm wondering if one of the under the hood fixes in El Capitan is this, that they've fixed whatever problem it was, or at least if they haven't fixed the problem, they've put in a, a you know, monitor that says, hey, wait a minute, this thing's stuck. We know what to do. Let's go blow away that cache and have it get rebuilt. And then it just does it instead of forcing us to figure out how to do it and then do it. 
uh, or even know that it needs to be done. So I'm, I'm curious if anyone has seen App Store updates get stuck and stay stuck under El Capitan or if they have if this is one of those, you know, self-healing uh, things that's part of Apple's new directive. Some of some of the self-healing stuff is good. And if this is one of them, I would put that on the good list. And some of it's not so great Wi-Fi assist. But, you know, we'll mm-hmm. figure that out when we get there. So I'm I curious. doubt it because on my mini right now, uh, if I go to the App Store, so it shows uh, uh, in the Apple menu, mm-hmm. uh, two updates. If okay. I go to the App Store, uh, the app store comes up and so I just brought mine up and it's yeah. been sitting here with the spinning wheel of no progress mm. <laughs> for about a minute. Okay. Okay. Well, because I, I previously paused uh, an update because it was a rather large update to, yep. uh, to, to a game that I still play on occasion. And, and I even went to the uh, launch pad and deleted it. Yep. And, and it's still, my app store is still stuck. So my, I may have to go, Back have to, to do all this yeah. clearing of the app store stuff that I told you how to do and then forgot <laughs> how I told you how to do it. Well, I think I just found an article that said, sure. hey, go here, here and here and whack right. this stuff. Yeah. I, I and we'll, we'll put that article in again. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. Keep me, keep me posted on that. Hopefully it'll, uh, it'll, hopefully it'll come around, you know, cause I, I don't, I don't, yeah, I, no. I want it to be the case. All right, John, I, I want to talk about our, uh, our second batch of sponsors here that work for you. Do it. I want to tell you about our sponsor, Crucial, at Crucial.com. They have been making memory for all kinds of computers, not just the Mac, but everything for a long time. And before I forget, right now they're offering 5% off of memory for the Mac. Just go to their site, click on memory, click on Apple, and boom, you're going to see 5% off right there. Crucial's really smart, though, because they understand that not everybody is a geek. And frankly, they even understand that even us geeks don't always quite know what we've got in our computer, nor do we know exactly what the capacity, the true capacity of our computers is. Apple doesn't always quite tell us the truth on this. When I need to know how much RAM can fit in my computer or in yours, Frankly, we use Crucial a lot of times when we're answering questions. I'll go to Crucial's website, put in the model of the Mac. They have, uh, they have a, a thing. You can download their system scanner, which will scan your Mac. Or if you know what you have, or in the case of us answering a question for you, we just put in the, you know, the, the product and the year and all that stuff, the model. And it'll tell us, like, here's what that will support. And they've tested all this stuff. So they really, really know it. They test everything they really care about making sure quality stuff is in your hands their customer support is second to none i've i've used their products for years uh i've dealt with their support department it's absolutely fantastic you got to check these guys out crucial.com make sure you click on memory and then apple and right there you'll see five percent off memory for the mac our thanks to crucial for sponsoring this episode Our sponsor, Squarespace, at squarespace.com slash MGG, makes it super easy for you to build and publish your website. I did this with my DaveTheNerd.com blog, right? uh, I've had it in various capacities and various engines over the years. I know how to do this stuff behind the scenes, but frankly, it's a pain in the neck. Yeah, I could host it on our server that we host TMO on and all that stuff. 
it's a it's a mess trying to just deal with that keeping whatever engine i'm using updated most recently before moving to squarespace i'd used wordpress here's the cool part squarespace inherited my content so everything that i wrote on my blog when it was in wordpress just magically got slurped right up into squarespace so i didn't need to worry about anything all the categories and the tags and all of it came along urls everything everything it's just magic these folks know what they're doing the cool part is it all happens right inside your web browser you design the site you edit the site you look at the site and even other people look at your site hopefully in your web browser that's how it works sites are professionally designed regardless of if you're whether you're a bad designer like me or not because it doesn't matter Squarespace has all the designers, right? They craft these sites. They craft these templates so that you can't screw it up. I've tried. Trust me. They just, they make it look beautiful no matter what. Really intuitive, really easy to use tools. And if you sign up for a year, you get a free domain. So start your free trial today. Go to squarespace.com slash MGG. That lets them know that we sent you. You get 14 days free when you're going to sign up. That code MGG helps you 10% off your first purchase. Eight bucks a a month is what it costs uh, everybody else. You get to save 10% off that and sign up for a year. You get a free domain. So check it out. Squarespace.com slash MGG. Coupon code MGG saves you 10%. Our thanks to Squarespace for sponsoring this episode. Indeed, man. It's, um, I don't even know where to go from here, John. Uh, You know, let's go to John. And, and let's talk about this one little quick, uh, quick thing in El Capitan. And then I, I want to jump down to, to package managers because I think, I think it's, uh, frankly, yes. it's fun. So John asks, small annoyance, but the new mission control, which I use constantly and have for a while, makes it so that when you activate it, what used to be small screens at the top representing each desktop are now text until you hover over them. This is annoying for a number of reasons. However, I can understand it for screens like my 12-inch MacBook or an 11-inch Air. But on my 27-inch iMac that has a second 27-inch monitor, I've got plenty of screen real estate available. I'd like to see them expanded. Is there a terminal command where I can change a prep that will make it so that the small screen representations are restored to their default behavior? Uh no, at least not that we've found. But if anybody out there has found one of these, uh, I would like to hear about it, too. But a commenter on an iDownload blog article uh, that, that was talking about the new mission control notes this. He says uh, he or she actually, I don't know, says, I found that if I use active corners and access mission control that way, I'm now able to see the full desktop thumbnail like before, rather than the annoying gray bar with a list of desktops. So that's it's weird that the way that you access it makes a difference, but that's kind of how it goes. So, you know, we, uh, we roll with it, but um, you know, it's, it's weird. So if anybody knows of a way of making it, making mission control show the old way, regardless of how we get there, I'd love to hear about it as would, uh, as would John and maybe John, you would too. I don't know. Would you? No, I don't really use it. So, okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's kind of people annoying. to do. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, Dave, exciting update. Are, are we done with this? Yeah, <laughs> I figured out how to uh, how to how to fix the uh, stuck app store. 
Okay, so it didn't fix itself for you. No. Okay. And, and I was so incredibly annoyed. Um, I took a few moments to uh, fix the problem, of course, uh, on my podcasting machine, because that's, that's a hmm. wise thing to do. It is, especially um, while we're podcasting. Yeah. Right, right. right. Yeah. But, um, but no, I fixed it. And, uh, and, and when I saw the article, uh, it all came back to me uh, how to go about this here. So sure. just want to share it with uh, our listeners as well. So if you do go into the app store, uh, whether for an update or for whatever reason, and you get the spinning wheel of no progress, though it should be the progress wheel, but it's not. <laughs> right. It's the anti-progress wheel. Like the carousel of progress. Remember that? I do. Oh, so much fun. Yeah. Um, but here is... In short, how you solve this problem. So I found a stack at uh, apple.stackexchange.com uh, article. Uh, in a nutshell, uh, you want to go to your user directory, uh, library, caches, and basically any entry in there that has the word store at the beginning of it, throw it away. And okay. that solved it. All right. Yeah. So I did that. I threw all that stuff away. Some of them had complained that they were still in use, but, um, and, and actually, uh, for good measure, you may want to, um, oh, actually, and this says it too. So, so another thing is that, uh, if you go into activity monitor, uh, and you look at the uh, CPU tab, you will see several daemons that have the word store at the beginning of them, uh, Kill quit those for good measure. Yeah. yeah. They'll come back. But I think what, what happens is so between restarting, um, the Apple store daemons or demons, whatever, however you want to pronounce it and getting rid of those cat, those caches that will unstick your stuck app store. And I verified it because it just unstuck mine. <laughs> Sweet. Sweet. All right, John, you want to take us to Dave and we can talk a little bit about OS 10 package managers. All right, Dave. Yeah, because it's good stuff. All right. Uh, where are you, Dave? Dave, you are, I can't find Dave. All right. Well, I, Dave's, I'll, Dave's not here. I'll, I'll get him. Ah, here he is. Okay. I'm sorry. No, I got it. Okay. So let me. All right. So he starts off. Ah, yes. All right. In Mac Geek. So Dave writes and says in Mac Geek app 573, there was some discussion of package managers and where they laid down files. I know you all, Dave and John use homebrew. And actually I don't, I'll explain what I do in a moment. Um, but I rarely hear you mention Mac ports, and I've always wondered why. If there are good reasons to avoid it, I'd like to know. I've used Mac ports since OS X Tiger, and I've been quite happy. I'm using Mac ports with Magra, Mavericks and Yosemite. But most relevant to the discussion in show 573 is that Mac ports creates a new directory called slash opt, into which it installs everything. So it changes nothing in the slash USR, or user folder. In other words, the directories that Apple lays down remain as they were, and there should be no file system conflicts with OS patches and upgrades. Um, and I think, I don't, I don't think that's we really a, that's need to That's as good enough here. as a question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's a question. And then, Dave, you and I both have answers to it. Yeah. So my answer was, actually, I am still an active Fink user. Fink is one of, I think there are pretty much three major package managers and i think we're going to cover them all right here yeah um so one that i've been using and it's been around for a while and they've updated it for el capitan so uh it, it is current but i use one called fink okay why do i use fink you may ask and i'm going to tell you why because dave 
Fink has a spiffy GUI called Fink Commander. All right. And, and it still works. And it sure. lets you manage a lot of aspects of Fink. So you can certainly run Fink from the command line or the terminal if you want to, but I, I choose not to. Sure. And, and the GUI offers a lot of cool um, bonuses. Um, but to Dave's point here, um, they do something very similar in that they really didn't have to make many changes to uh, adopt to El Capitan. So they take a similar approach in that instead of an opt directory, what Fink does is they put things in a slash SW directory. So that also avoids the whole problem with uh, system integrity protection and in that it doesn't put its stuff in one of the directories Apple now considers verboten. Um, and all I'll say is Mac ports. I see no problem with it. It's just the last that I looked at it, um, that they have a GUI called palette and I wasn't really thrilled with it. Um, it, it didn't seem to synchronize well with what was actually happening. Um, like Fink commander does. So I tried it once and I said, Nope, it's not for me. And I went back to Fink. So, um, but you know, obviously Dave's very happy with it for, for, you know, multiple iterations of OS 10 and more power to you. So, that's my spin, and then Dave, you uh, you, you do something different, as, yeah, as you should. Right, of course. I like homebrew. Um, I'm I've not found any packages that I want to install that are GUI packages anyway. So anything that I'm doing that is related to my package manager, I'm using the terminal for anyway. So I I don't even I don't think there's a, a GUI for brew uh, for homebrew, but p- perhaps there is. Um, and 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 if there is, I wouldn't I wouldn't even use it. It's it's very, very simple to use from the command line. Moving to El Capitan, there were some interesting things. Um, I had to it, 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 brew uses a, a technology called Git at, at, at its core that keeps everything up to date. And there were some permissioning things. No great surprise that the update to El Capitan sort of broke. So the first thing I had to do was just run a brew update as a sudo, S-U-D-O space brew update. And I think that was enough to fix it. Uh, I don't think I had to make any other permission things. But then I went through and I actually told brew to update everything um, because there were El Capitan versions of all my packages there. So uh, there was there was a command. I think it was... Um, First, I did a brew update, which just pulls down the list of all the new formulas. And then I believe it was brew install and with a um, with and then in, in quotes, brew outdated. And I think that was enough. I'll put the I'll put a link to the article that describes what exactly what I did in um, in, uh, in in the in the, the show notes. That's what I like to call them. And and that should that should get you there. It doesn't say do this for El Capitan, but it it it's a. It's an article that explains how to tell Brew to just reinstall everything that that might be outdated, and uh, and that that seems to that that was a very good thing for me to do on on my machines. I haven't done it on my podcasting machine yet because I have not updated to El Capitan here. But you'll see when Brew installs packages, it's very very simple. You do one command to install Brew. That's it. It's a Ruby command, and it it just puts it out there. It does everything it needs to do, and then you do Brew update. And then to keep brew up to date with all its formularies. And then if I want to install uh, something like iperf, right? 
all I have to do is type brew space install space iperf3 because iperf3 is, is the command I want to use. There's two versions of iperf. There's iperf and iperf3. I prefer iperf3 because that's what my routers use. So uh, I do brew install iperf3 and it just installs it. And then I can run iperf3 from the command line. And if I want to upgrade everything, I just do brew upgrade. And it, it works. It's very, very simple. And it, it, it just works. But you'll see when you do that, say brew install iperf3, You'll see it, it kind of walks you through the process and says it's downloading it and then installing it. And when you look at what it's downloading, oftentimes, most of the time, in fact, it's downloading something for your specific OS. So on this machine, it would say, you know, iperf3, it would give a version number and then it would say Yosemite somewhere in it. Uh, when I do the same thing on my Mac in the office, it says, you know, all that same stuff, but El Capitan. So there are different flavors. Now, for a lot of things, it might not matter. But for some things, I'm sure it will. So it, it is important to, to kind of do all those updates and then you're good to go. So that's uh, I like brew homebrew. A lot of people use it. There's a lot of packages out there for it. It seems to be the probably the most popular one for the Mac. And it, it's kept me from running into problems. It's really straightforward. So that's why I like it. Yeah, I think got kind of. Uh... Like a lot of things, uh, because they they messed with the lower. Uh, Apple decided to change a lot of things. Um, think I actually had to both uh, install the Xcode command line tools because apparently they said, "Oh, by the way, we've kind of changed how we access things." Uh, so, so what you use, Dave? I guess it uses something called Git, which is a you know, control system. Yeah, but that's part of the Xcode command line tools, and it Brew will force you to it. Brew will do it. It just, you need to run it again as super user. Uh, oh, you do sudo right. and brew install, or when you, when you do the install, it'll tell you the first time you run it, it'll say, Hey, uh, by the way, you need the Xcode things. And, and then it just pulls them in and, and does oh, them. Right. It's no big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Fink actually said, okay, I need these because I'm going to be moving over to this thing called rsync, which is another way uh, yep. to pull files from a repository. And then, um, and actually, yeah, in the case of, uh, in the case of Fink, they said, okay, well, if you've already upgraded to El Capitan, which I did, they're like, you're going to have to download the Debian, uh, distribution and install it. Otherwise, if you haven't yet, so I, you know, didn't think to do this, Sure, but uh, if you haven't yet upgraded to El Capitan and you have a package manager, there may be, it may be easier for you to first upgrade your package manager before upgrading to El Capitan. In this case, it would have been, yep. and that I would have had to have you know, typed a couple of things on the command line telling Fink to update itself rather than having to download the package and reinstall it. Got so it. That's what I had to do. Yeah, But yeah, it's right. working now. Right, and I actually determined it's working now because I uh, I'm like oh well, let me let me choose to download and compile something and uh, and I chose to download and compile the very handy hello command Dave. Oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah, you know what it does? You, you type hello and it says hello world. <laughs> well, you know everybody needs their first piece of software. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that command for brew, actually, the article that I was going to post has it wrong. Uh, the command for brew, just in case anybody's listening, and this I will just paste into the show notes, is brew space reinstall space and then uh, <laughs> left single quote. So the one in the upper left hand corner of your keyboard, brew list, end quote. What that does is it takes the output of the brew list command 
and pumps it into the brew reinstall command. So you could do it. You could do brew list and then say brew reinstall this package, brew reinstall that package, you know, do it manually. But this just does it for you and makes life a whole lot easier. Um, and of course, to do this, I had to issue this command. Thankfully, I, I uh, chose not to issue it on this machine. I, I created a terminal session to my iMac downstairs. So it's now busy and freaking out, reinstalling everything with brew. And yes, pulling down all the El Capitan stuff, which I've already done, but happy to do it again. So it's fun. I like it. Keeps, uh, it, 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 you know, there's a, there's a few things that I use brew for, and that's one of them. Uh, you know, it's, uh, is iperf, but I use it for other things too. Like I said, keeps things fun and easy. All right, John, now where are we going here? Um, Jeff has a good question and, and actually there's a solution that uses a package manager. So, so why don't we talk about Jeff? You, uh, you got this, you got Jeff up there or, or should I, uh, should I kick us off? With um, well, I would say you may or may not. Um, there's a few solutions Fair to, uh, Jeff's problem here. Yeah. Explain Jeff's problem um, and then we'll, we'll get there. Yeah. All right. So Jeff ran into something that a bunch of us did after upgrading to El Capitan and not paying attention. <laughs> um, but Jeff writes in and says, recently I wanted to rewatch 2001. Cool. <laughs> um, except what the computer does, but, uh, that's besides the point. Watch right. it if you haven't. It'll, it'll let you learn about computers. Um, uh, so he decided to rip his copy of the movie, uh, which he's been doing on an as-needed basis for the past couple of years. However, Handbrake, usually very reliable, is no longer able to get past the copy protection. It seems that Handbrake, at least as I have implemented, has been relying on VLC for the libraries necessary to get around the copy protection. But VLC version 2 no longer supplies the libraries in a way that Handbrake can use them. I guess I should have wondered how that was done. Is there any way to install those libraries so that Handbrake works, or do I need to look for other software? The fixes that I found suggested renaming the current version of VLC and installing a pre-version too, but it seems like there should be a cleaner solution. Um, and there are, Dave. There, there are at least two solutions to this. So one that I ran into... Um, and this, this happened. So when I uh, after I upgraded to El Capitan, I tried to run a handbrake because, yeah, I wanted to uh, uh, rip a movie, um, yep. one that I borrowed from the library but didn't get around to and had to return so I wouldn't get fined. Um, so I store them on my NAS and watch them at my leisure. And I hope they're okay with that. That's that's in the <laughs> that's in the not intended use case department. We'll just we'll and we'll just go ahead and leave that there. That's fine. I, I, I'm just uh, doing a temporal shift on my borrowing of it. Right. Anyways, as soon as I watch them, I delete them. So, so I'm, I'm within the spirit of the law, I think. Attaboy. If not, well, the, the copyright cops will come and mm -hmm. haul me away. Or the library police. <laughs> the library police. So I ran into it, Dave. So here's one thing that happens. The way that I had it set up. So when I started Handbrake, I knew something was wrong because it actually will tell you if it cannot find um, a library. And it's called libdvdcss. Uh, lib is obvious DVD, of course, a DVD and CSS, I think is content scrambling system, which is the, what they call the copy protection method on DVDs that uh, prevents you from just copying it over. Um, in El Capitan, what happens is that it takes it 
from its old location. So this is one solution. It'll take it from its old location and move it for you, which is bad. <laughs> well, in that handbrake no longer knows where to look for it. Right. Um, now, maybe they'll upgrade handbrake. Well, well, no. Well, you know, they could upgrade handbrake to be El Capitan aware and say, okay, let me look here. But basically what happens is that um, after you run El Capitan, a whole bunch of stuff um, that existed elsewhere is now going to be moved to slash library, slash system migration, slash history, slash migration, dash some big long string of gobbledygook, slash quarantine root. And basically the article we'll link to basically tells you, okay, look in here, take that library file and move it back to, uh, I think it, it expects to find it in slash user slash local slash lib. So that's one way of solving the problem, Dave, but there's another way of solving it. There is. Right. Well, yeah, I, um, I saw your article or I saw your, your email when we were prepping the show and I thought, Oh, I'll probably run in, into this too. I just hadn't run handbrake since I, on that machine, you know, since I had put El Capitan on and I thought, well, why don't I just go and run brew and see if homebrew will install this. So I typed, I just went to the command line. I typed brew space, install space, lib DB, DVD CSS. And sure enough, there's a lib DVD CSS package in part of homebrew and it pulled it down and put it in the right place. And I ran handbrake and handbrake was like, yep. Got it. Good to go. Thank you. So again, brew, brew, brew to the rescue. I, um, it's just super easy and it, it's fun because then you can, you know, you can just, if you're trying to do stuff again, it's, it's that simple once you've got it set up and setting it up really is as simple as go to brew.sh scroll down the page, read through a couple of the things, but there's one line you copy and paste and it goes and sets it all up for you. And then, uh, and then you can do things like that. You can just go to the command line, brew, install libdvd CSS and it's done. And it, it takes, you know, 10 seconds usually to pull something down and install it. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's and then it'll keep it all up to date when you, you know, you, well, it'll update it when you tell it to, um, which, so. I oh, like it. Look at that. I just noticed that, um, so I'm using Fink Commander. Yeah. And, and I search for this. So one thing it does is it maintains a list, a searchable list of all of the packages you can access. Um, and I just typed live DVD CSS and that's yeah. one of them that I, so I could have done that as well. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, you know, it, it, it's definitely in the geeky realm, of course, but, uh, but it, you know, using a package manager, I avoided it and I've been a Unix guy since, you know, since longer than I've been a Mac guy. Right. And I mean, I, I started using Unix systems back when I had my Apple two and I could connect to other computers with a modem. Right. Uh, it took years. Adam Christensen, uh, you know, and he works with us and does a lot of our backend stuff and he's great. And he, uh, he kept saying, you know, we would talk about, oh, there's, there's a, a Unix command called wget that, that allows you to pull stuff down. And uh, oh, I used yeah. to use wget all the time and then transferred over to using curl because curl is C-U-R-L is built into OS 10, whereas wget's not. And Adam's like, well, yeah, I just have wget. I install it with homebrew. And I'm like, yeah, I don't want to mess with that. He's like, dude, what are you talking about? It's not that hard. But it took years of him finally saying, I'm like, yeah, I should just, I, I should just do that. And, Cause I was doing, going all, you know, especially like to get iperf. I was compiling, downloading it from weird sources and having to find it the right way. And finally I'm like, I think homebrew would solve this. And then, and then we talked about it here on the show uh, years ago. 
So anyway, I like it. It's fun. If you're at all comfortable no, with the terminal, I highly recommend getting some kind of package manager and, you know, and just, just have fun with it. So, well, it's the way to go if you want to install a lot of these command line tools, because yeah. someone, uh, as you pointed out, Dave, the, the alternative is somebody has to build an installer that is very specific to your environment and your operating system. And a lot of times they don't do it right. That's right. Whereas the package managers typically pull down the source code, query your system and say, okay, now I know what to do because I know what system I'm running on to, uh, to give you this tool. You know, it sets the paths, makes it pretty painless. It does. Yeah, it's good stuff. Hey, I, I know we said we weren't going to do any cool stuff found this week, but there is one cool stuff found that I want to uh, mention, and I'll do it quickly. It's ours. It's our Mac Geek Gab app. And uh, the cool part about it is we've got an update. It, it's free, just like all the rest of the updates and the app. So if you don't have it yet, you can go get it. We've added, and I say we've, Corey, uh, Corey Emdick, our programmer, added both 3D Touch and Universal Search. So 3D Touch right from the, uh, from the you know, the, uh, uh, the lock screen, I call it. Why do I have trouble with these things today? It's just one of those days, I suppose. But, uh, but if you've got a 6S or a 6S Plus and you push hard on the, uh, on the thing, you can listen live right from there, you can contact us right from there, or you can play the next episode right from there. So that's one thing. Uh, also added universal search, right? So if you've got episodes and you're searching, say, for, you know, uh, package managers, right, or homebrew, it will search the show notes, which are embedded in the episode and also the chapters, and uh, and show you that even if you just search your, your, you know, your system. You don't have to even run the app. You just search on iOS for you know, brew or something and boom, it's going to find this episode and you're good to go. I mean, it won't find it right as I'm saying it because this episode doesn't exist yet. But by the time you hear it, it does exist. So this is one of these weird temporal things that I'm just going to ignore because it's getting really weird. All right, John. Feedback at MacGeekGab.com is the address you can send in your cool stuff found, your tips, your hints, your questions. We will happily answer them to feedback at MacGeekGab.com. And you know, this one time, Dave, I'm not going to shake my fist at you. I'm going to heartily agree with you that it's feedback at MacGeekGab.com. 206-666-GEEK is the number you can use to call us. Anybody can use it. John, geek is? <sighs> um, um, wait, let me get my phone. Hold on. Uh, four, three, three, five. <laughs> Thank you, my friend. If you are a premium supporter, you can email us at premium at MacGeekGab.com. If you're interested in becoming a premium supporter, visit MacGeekGab.com. The details are right there. Uh, In a nutshell, premium is a program for those of you that can and wish to go the extra mile and support us directly. We definitely appreciate it. It's humbling, and it it really does help us do all the things we do, uh, you know, all these shows we go to. Frankly, it helps us, you know, pay our bills and and all of that stuff. So we really, really appreciate it. We, We couldn't do this show without you, nor would we want to. So... It's a double, it's a double whammy for us, and it's a, a good whammy in that way. So, uh, check it out at MacGeekGab.com if you're interested. If you want to join uh, the growing and immensely helpful community of MacGeekGab listeners that uh, ask and answer each other's questions, we participate as well. Uh, on Facebook is really where that community is growing. In fact, we've had several people tell us, you know, I didn't find Facebook useful. 
until I found your community and now I visit every day. And uh, and if that's not a, a, an endorsement for what we're doing, what you're doing here, frankly, this is uh, so much of it is what you folks do. Uh, we just kind of provide the home. Uh, really, it's Facebook that provides the home. But anyway, visit uh, the best way to get there. The easiest way to get there is MacGeekab.com slash Facebook. Yes, that's reversed. MacGeekab.com slash Facebook will redirect you to the whole Facebook slash group slash MacGeekab thing, which also isn't that hard to find. But there you go. Check it out. Uh, we've got some great folks helping out there. Alex and Brian and Michael uh, helping John and I out, kind of keeping things rolling. They they all rock. Uh, but uh, but you can all help each other. It's just you know it's an open it's an open forum. So anybody can pose a question. Anybody can answer it. The discussions are all threaded because that's what Facebook's good at. So check it out. I want to thank uh, the folks at Cashfly c a c h e f l y dot com for all the bandwidth that it takes to get the show from us to you. And of course, our sponsors, Squarespace at squarespace.com slash MGG, where coupon code MGG saves you 10%. Crucial, where at crucial.com, if you go to memory and Apple, you can save 5% off of Apple memory through the end of the month. So that's October. Make sure you check that out. Drobo. Dot com slash MGG, where you can get the coupon code and the link to save a hundred bucks off of one of those three Drobos that you're interested in there. And that means that for $199, you can get a, a four bay direct connect Drobo. Also, iMazing.com coupon code MGG saves you 20% off of that fantastic piece of software to manage your iOS devices. In addition, of course, the folks at Gazelle at Gazelle.com helping us out. Smile at smilesoftware.com slash geek. Linda at lynda.com slash mgg. The fantastic people at Barebones Software at barebones.com. And of course, Otherworld Computing, delivering high-quality peripherals and everything to us for so long at maxsales.com. John, it's been a great episode. It's been a great week. I'm looking forward to seeing everyone again next week. Between now and then, I have one thing to ask of every one of you. It is both a request and a wish. Don't get caught. Made up.